You're listening to the Broken Meeple podcast, recorded on Easter Sunday, 2020. The Broken Meeple podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. Hey everyone, it's Easter Sunday and I'm bored. Okay, I'm not entirely bored. I do have a lot of games I can play, I do have video games, and I do have some series I would happily watch, but uh, is it me or does every day just feel the same at the moment? It's Easter and I literally cannot tell it's Easter except for the fact that I can't go to a supermarket to get my, my food because they're all shut. You know, there's no point to Easter for me on this time. And yes, I get it, there's a religious thing for it, but I'm atheist, therefore that's kind of lost on me, which means Easter literally serves no purpose to me each year apart from being time off work. I already have these two weeks off work, and with the isolation going on at the moment with the whole coronavirus, I literally cannot tell what day it is each week or the difference between each day. Ugh, isolation is really getting to me. I just do not... This isn't my style, okay? I like to have my me time, yes, and I've been out on some hill walks, I've played some solo games and that, but I like to meet people. I like to see people. I like to play games with people, and I don't just simply mean over the internet. I like to actually be there in presence of other people and speak to them and interact. Doing this whole isolation thing is not my style. I don't know if that makes me extroverted, introverted, or what. It's, you know, I think I'm a balance of the two, really, but... I just, I need to get out of here. I need, uh, I need more than just my neighbours to talk to who aren't even gamers themselves. So it's, it's tough. It's pretty tough. You know, I feel like each day is literally just get up, meander, do some lazy stuff and then go to bed late and then wake up horrible the next day because I haven't had enough sleep and then rinse, repeat to the point where I'm just exhausted and I barely feel like I've done anything. It's, you know, apart from the occasional bits of exercise, which, you know, are still not exactly helping me to lose weight. I know, I need, I need this isolation to be over. And it's just depressing when half the stuff that I've been looking forward to this year gets cancelled or amended. You know, we've, you know, UK Games Expo, postponed until autumn. Uh, Handicon, cancelled. Manicon, I'll be surprised if that goes on ahead. Cancelled, I'll bet. Uh, Gridcon, I'll be surprised if that goes on ahead. Cancelled, I bet. Uh, Midgard, I had an announcement recently. I was going to Midgard this year in September 2020 they've decided to postpone that one as well. So it's like, oh, crying out loud, I was so looking forward to going to Iceland. And I still will. They still want me and Dave Loser and all that to appear next time, but this will be like 2021, so it's going to be postponed a whole year. So I look forward to it. I cannot wait. And I guarantee you I will be there. But my God, I wanted to go this year. And now we don't even know what's happening with Essen. I mean, Essen's one of my highlights of the year, and if that's going to be cancelled, where am I going to go on holiday? <laughs> I got, most of my holiday is taken up each year going to conventions, because I don't travel as much as I would like to, because solo supplement is basically the, the killer of all solo travel. Because if I want to go anywhere solo, I either have to go on weird backpacking trips, which involve being with a group of people anyway, or I have to pay as much as two people to go on holiday, which is just a pain in the butt. I would go on a cruise every other month if I didn't have to worry about solo supplement, but nope. You want to go anywhere, you have to pay for two because we're stingy like that. <sighs> really not great. But maybe it's not all doom and gloom. Hopefully there's some stuff on this episode to keep me happy and hopefully keep some of you happy before I go off on another rant. So what's been happening with the channel? Well, you've been seeing the videos go out lately with the whole shelf by shelf thing. Um, I will do some... 
top tens every now and again. I just still want to get out the top ten essential games and a couple of other top tens as well. I don't want them to stop, but it's just getting the motivation to do it. But also the shelf by shelf videos do take up a bit of time as well, because as you notice, I've done six already. I've, no, I think I've done five that have aired. Uh, the sixth one will air tomorrow because I was going to wear it today, but frankly I need to space these out a little bit, otherwise I'll just go into burnout mode. So I'll probably do one release a day, but rather than do it daily, it'll be a case of, right, well if there's a top ten or a podcast to do, I'll put that in the middle. So I've already recorded nine of those. Bearing in mind I have three 4x4 Calyx shelves. It's going to take me a while to do those shelf-by-shelf -shelf videos, so they're going to be a, a highlight. Although, as the view count has suggested, that's not a bad thing. Seriously, it's kind of worrying that my description of a shelf in my collection is like three, four times more popular than, you know, a normal review video. It's like, should I have just done a blog in Ikea then? I don't know. But hey, I'm going to keep doing them because if you like them, then I'm doing them. And to be fair, where am I at the moment? Uh, let's see, we're on number nine. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more to do on the shelf and then I can move back to the other room. So uh, yeah. Oh well, if you're enjoying them, then great. I'll try and get them out. It's kind of interesting to know that my phone is actually doing better than my camera is in some respects. The autofocus is a little bit of a pain if you're not shooting dead on the subject, as I've noticed in a recent couple of videos, and because I can't see myself in a viewfinder, I have to hope that I've gauged the angle of the footage right. As you'll probably find out in episodes 8 and 9, the angle used is not perfect. You know, I have to basically correct this for episode 10 onwards. But, you know, that's a bit of a downside of using your phone. But the microphone's been solid. I barely have to do any audio trickery with it. I have to do a tiny bit of noise cancellation occasionally if there's stuff outside. But apart from just upping the gain a little bit, there's not a lot I have to do. Which is staggering, considering I normally have been trying to get it up to a shotgun mic. So... Who knows, maybe there's room for the mobile phone to replace my DSLR for future review videos. We'll have to see, because, I mean, people still, you know, not often, but people still complain about the whole fishbowl look of my wide-angle lens, and maybe the phone thing will work. Who knows? I will have to see on that front. So in terms of games, what have I played lately? Well, in terms of the solo stuff during isolation, uh, the two highlights have pretty much been Portal releases, which have been Detective, where I've now finished the LA Crimes campaign, solved the last case, just. <laughs> I didn't get a huge amount of points for it, but I solved it. I got the important stuff done. You know, I found out, I'm not going to spoil, don't worry, but I found out the who, and I found out the why. Didn't find out the how. Got that wrong. But to be honest, nobody cares about the how. People need to know who did a crime and why they did it. They don't care how they did it. Semantics, you don't need it. But... Again, the LA Crimes campaign is really good. I really like the stories in that. I love the 80s vibe it creates. I mean, play it while listening to Axel F. You know, Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack is great. But yeah, it's a solid expansion. If you like Detective, grab it. And it now means that I can now do the Under the Radar DLC pack that Portal have released, which is an add-on to LA Crimes. Kudos to Portal for actually doing these free DLCs for isolation. That's really cool. You know, you normally only get that in video games. But... On top of Detective, I've also, again from Portal, been playing Empires of the North. The new Roman factions have been fun to play, and the new DLC scenarios that Ignasti has released have allowed me to do some Empires of the North solo scenarios that I haven't done before, which again have been good fun. So, it's, I mean, kudos. It's, it's great when a publisher does that. In terms of any more solo games, well, I am strapped for choice, but I would like to finish off the Tainted Grail campaign. That would be good. 
Um, oh, I, I also did Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth. Um, I finished off the DLC campaign in that. It's a good campaign story-wise because it gives you a lot more branching choices. It is, however, a bit unfair on the difficulty spike. It's fine for most of the campaign, but then the last two to three missions of it, the difficulty spike ratchets up to 20. Where I swear, it is impossible to do the last battle map. I cannot think it is remotely possible to take as much damage as you are forced to take constantly in that battle map. It's just not possible. Because there is not enough ways to dodge creatures, there's not enough ways to hide behind terrain or anything. You literally are just getting creamed regularly by high strength enemies. And it's just a bit unfair in my, in my liking. I don't know how you're supposed to do it. Adventure mode I don't think will help that much. Because all that does is gives you an extra inspiration. Woo! You know, it's not, not exactly that useful on a battle map. So, mm, hard to see. I have to see how I'm going to get past that one. But, like I say, it didn't detract too much from the campaign itself. You know, the campaign itself is still really good. Still really love the game. Still can't wait for the expansion. God knows when that will come out, but more on that later. So, yeah, more solo games to try. I mean, I've got the uh, Mind Clash games that would be good to do. Tainted Grail, as I said, I want to finish off. Just looking by me, uh, Cooper Island has a good solo variant, I've heard. And I've got the cards for it, so I want to try that out. Um... And uh, we'll have to see. I mean, apart from that, I've been doing a lot of online play on Board Game Arena. So my plays of innovation have gone up quite considerably in the last uh, few weeks. Because, well, finally I can get it to the table. So there's stuff to do. It's just motivating myself and just telling myself that eventually things will get back to normal. It's just when. I mean, even just like first world things. Like my hair is unmanageable at the moment. I like short hair. I was already due for a haircut before we went into lockdown, and now we're in there, I'm way overdue, and my hair is just getting messy as all get out, you know, it's like, I like it short. And because we're in a heat wave at the moment in the summer, it's even worse. So I'm trying not to get headaches and that from heat stroke. Oh well, like I say, it's just gotta keep at it. So what's on for this episode after I've been going on about that? Well, I'm gonna do my first thoughts on Dominant Species, which I played literally last night with friends, so it's fresh on my mind as to my thoughts on it. Then I'm going to have a little brief chat about the what I'm predicting is going to be a problem when the isolation period finishes for board gaming. And then I'm going to answer three questions from the mailbag from a, um, a community member who has given me them recently, so I'm going to answer those. So first, on to Dominant Species, Chad Jensen, GMT Games. This is a huge brain burner in the sense that it will brain burn your brain and will take forever to play. Dominant Species basically has you take control of one of six different species, you know, mammals, arachnids, uh, reptiles, amphibians, that kind of thing. And you're basically doing area control on this, on this terrain map. So different terrain hexes will come out, you'll put your cubes on there as your, basically your species. You'll try to dominate various hexes based on whether you gel with the elements. So like, you know, does, does what your species need to survive exist on the map? And it's basically a lot of back and forth between other players as you're constantly taking actions to screw over everyone else right royally and better your own position. This continues until eventually the card deck runs out, which are basically these extremely powerful abilities that you can trigger during the game for dominating hexes. Once they run out, game ends total up points with some endgame scoring. 
Now this is a darling to a lot of people. A lot of people lord over this game. It's like number 56 in the top 100. So at least I've got another one ticked off my belt. Now I can see why a lot of people love it to bits. I can see why. There was a lot of good stuff in this game to like. There was oh, the, the very brain burning. I mean, this will burn your brain out a lot. So there's a lot of meaningful decisions. I like the fact it's tactical rather than strategic in the sense that I don't just simply pick a route and go with it from the start. I have to react to what the opponents are doing and how the map changes. That is good. I like the theme of the game, the idea that you're playing this unique species and you're trying to, you know, dominate the, well not dominate the world, but you're trying to survive on in the over other species, you know, top of the food chain and eating up other creatures and stuff. I found that cool and thematic and I was able to add a little bit of a flair into that as well while playing. And I do like the fact that the factions feel slightly different in how they play, but not too different. I mean, it's not like they're phenomenally different with tactics. It's just the fact that they have a little perk each and they vary as to how powerful they are based on where they are in the food chain in the general. So if you're breaking ties all the time, then your power is a little bit weak versus being low in the food chain, but your power is pretty strong. So there's a good little balancing act there. Now, that being said, it's a good game and I think it is a good game. Superb, as my friend calls it, is a little bit far. I don't quite think it's superb. There are flaws with this game that he will not admit. <laughs> so I will admit because I will tell you how it is. There are some problems here. One of which is not necessarily a game breaker, but you need to be aware of this. This is a game of ultimately high screwage. And I mean ridiculously ultimate, mega, ultra high screwage. This game will have you dicking over other players all the time. Everything you do is designed to annoy other players. And if you're not comfortable with a game that's going to be cutthroat, you better not play this because you will be doing this yourself and it will be done to you regularly unless you are in last place, in which case nobody gives monkeys about you. But if you get into like first, second place, you know, you're going to be constantly wailed on by other players and you may not have the means to be able to defend yourself against it at times. So be aware of that. I didn't mind this too much as I knew that going in, but the level of screwage has very high influential game ramifications because it's all right to say, I play this card and I do a little bit of an annoyance to you, or you know, I go to this spot, which slightly annoys you because it means I dominate it rather than you. But the stuff that people can screw you over with here can literally kick you out of the game. And I mean, pseudo knockout, splotter game style, kick you out of the game. There was literally a, uh, because I didn't know the game very well, I literally read the rules and that was it. The others had all watched a playthrough video, so they already knew the tactics. But there was a card at the end of the game where it was, was it you, as soon as this card's revealed, the game ends and everybody scores bonus points for domination. I didn't know that card existed in the game, so I didn't realise domination was that big a deal at the end of the game, so I didn't bother going for it. Had I known, that would have completely changed my last few rounds. And these rounds are a good 30 minutes apiece. They're not short. But on top of that, it then dawned on me that one mistake I made earlier in the game, which I could only have prevented like in one turn, like there was only one turn occasion I could have prevented it, but it was deemed not a massive deal because it didn't really change my immediate position. It turned out that that one mistake cost me the game. 
like literally two hours earlier, one mistake meant I had no chance of winning the game, because it meant I couldn't dominate anywhere to save my life apart from one or two hexes, enough to get a card, which I thought was adequate, but apparently, unless you are dominating a lot of hexes in the endgame scoring, you will lose. I was ahead by a monumental amount of points throughout the entire game, until the endgame scoring, when the massive swing that Ice Age card did for one player overtook me by miles. Thank you for telling us that. And thank you for putting such a swingy card in the game in the first place. That was a bit of a sour note, but fine, I know it for future, it's there, I know not to ignore them quite so much. Because I didn't really care about Tundra Tiles, because it's like, one point? Who cares? Oh, now there's actually a point, it's like, great. But the biggest killer, and as much as the game is good, I mean, despite that Scourge factor, that is, it's a con, but it's a con I'm willing to accept. There is one con, though, that I'm not willing to accept. This game is long. And I don't just mean long as a piece of string. I mean long as in travelling from Penzance, Land's End, to John O'Groats or whatever it is in Scotland, long. I'm talking about making that journey on foot, with one leg, when you're blind. This is long. Stupidly long. The game took us over four to five hours, with four players. I don't care that it was our first game, we'd read the rules in advance, so it wasn't like it was a total newbie thing. This game is too long. I'm sorry. If four to six hours for a game is adequate to you, then I want your life. Because your life clearly has way too much free time on it to be able to afford that long to play any kind of game in existence. I love certain video games. I am playing Doom Eternal at the moment. I am playing Deep Rock Galactic lots at the moment. I have a, like 150 hours sunk into that game over its lifetime. I still put the game down after one to two hours. I don't feel like playing it for four to six hours straight. This game was burning my brain through obviously the brain burning aspect of it, but you have to keep up that momentum for four to six hours. I was done after three. You know, three was kind of like, right, I can accept this being a three hour game, I play Vital Lacerda ones and this is brain burning. We still got what, how many rounds to do? Like three, four more rounds? How long have we been playing this? Each round takes forever. You've got to plan out these actions, then they've got to resolve like 12 different actions and with multiple people doing it, of which every time something happens on the map you have to rethink your certain situation because you have to recalculate dominance, which takes a while to do because it, the rules are a little fiddly on that. You, Although, to be fair, the rules are actually not that difficult to learn, I'll give it credit, but you then have to constantly recalculate this. Then you have to rethink, well hang on, now that they've just done that, does that mean my thing will work? So hang on, let me rethink. It generates a lot of AP, but because it's influencing everybody, the downtime is mitigated to an extent. But four to six hours is not acceptable for a game length. I'm sorry. And this is the one big killer for this game. Unless you can tell me and promise me that the game will cap at three hours, I have no interest in playing this again. I'm sorry. It's too long. There's no reason for it to be that long. The game could easily have two to three rounds shaved off it and make it take less time. Don't have cards that give you bonus action pawns or something because all that does is elongate the game because more people are doing actions. And you got to the point where we, we were taking a card from this tableau every round, so we never missed a card. And there was still a round where you had to basically get no cards, it was just the Ice Age card was the last one left. Why is that round in the game? That's a whole extra 20 to 30 minutes that could have been shaved off the game. People have suggested take five cards out of the deck. 
I'd love to do that, it would shave 30 minutes off the game. Not enough to bring it down under 3 hours though, and my friend won't do that because they like 4-6 to six hour games. Because they're mad. <laughs> I love them the bits, but they're mad. <laughs> and it's just too much. I mean, this is like the colonist level of length. Twilight Imperium levels of length. And the colonist is bad. And Twilight Imperium is okay, but not worth the hours. It's just... Why would I want to play this game for that long? I can get a brain burning experience from Mind Clash games, Anachrony, Tricarion, and Cerebria. Both take about, all of them take about three hours, maybe three and a half tops. Fine, that's still shorter than Dominant Species. And they look better, because Dominant Species has had five printings now, and it still looks like rubbish. Still looks like crap. It's uh, GMT, learn artwork, learn color, learn something other than cubes and cones. Seriously, put some effort into your aesthetics. But I, I don't know. Like I say, the game itself is good. I don't think it's a bad game and I can understand why for some people it's like a darling game. So I will give it credit. I'm not usually a fan of GMT's games anyway and Thunder Alley was okay but it was again too long. I mean who wants to play a racing game for two and a half hours? And this one, I think, was one of their better games I've played from them. So, you know, if you could promise me you could cap the length, maybe by only playing it with two to three players, I don't know, maybe that could, maybe I'd be interested. If you could promise me we would sh um, take cards out of the deck so a four-player game could be done in three hours, I'd probably be up for it. But if you tell me that we're not shortening the deck, and you even consider putting five to six players in this game to add to the chaos factor because that's just too unmanageable at that point. It was already a lot of chaos with four players. Five to six would just make it worse and add to downtime and add to the... Uh, yeah, it'd just be too much. You will not convince me to ever play this game with five or six players. It's not going to happen. So, Dominant Species, I like it, but I'll never likely play it again. So with that aside, I just want to mention a quick thing that I'm worried about with regards to the isolation period when it ends. Because sooner or later, we're going to be able to go back to normal-ish. Businesses will open, people can start releasing new stuff, because at the moment, releases for a lot of things are delayed. Video games, movies, even board games, their releases are getting delayed. Asmodee hasn't put out a press release for releases in over three weeks now. And most stores aren't getting new games in because the publishers are holding them back. Fair enough. What does this mean though when the isolation period lifts though? Does that mean we're suddenly going to get this massive inrush of games? That is what I'm a little bit scared of because I hit burnout and can't manage when Essen comes around because of the sheer amount of games that get released at Essen. If you basically create a mini Essen tsunami at the end of this isolation period, there is no way I will be able to cope with the reviews that need to be done. I will have to deliberately skip games because it just will not be physically possible to play them all and review them. And that's what I'm a little bit worried about. I don't know what publishers are planning to do, I'm hoping that they will space out their games a bit, but especially as we might not get a Gen Con at this rate, you know, which is normally their big release thing, and if we don't get an Essen, then I would like to hope that they just space their games out. And if they do, great, just a nice gradual pace throughout the year, and don't worry about particular events, just space it out and get it out on the public eye. But I'm concerned that when we get to like July, September time, it's just gonna be like, next week on releases, 10 games from Fantasy Flight, 20 games from Z-Man, you know, it's, 
30 games from Kulmini or not. Although, a trading issue at the moment? Probably not. There's a lot of reports in the, in the press at the moment that Kulmini or not are suffering trading issues. And that's not a good sign when they're trying to long on their um, Ankh Kickstarter. Um, to put long story short, the auditors basically won't give them a going concern statement in their annual report. And for anybody who isn't an accountant like me, going concern is basically the phrase attributable to will the company survive another year? You want me to back your Kickstarter, which is a giant prepayment on the grounds that your statements can't even quote, you're going to survive another year. How about no? <laughs> you will not be getting a penny from me until I know your trading status is fine. Although, to be fair, I haven't done any of your Kickstarters since um, Rising Sun, so too expensive. But even so, I'm not even going to bother looking at Ankh because it's not worth it now. You know, I mean, it's, I've already got Rising Sun. Why do I need another big minis beating each other up game? But on top of that, I know I'm an accountant. I'm a tax accountant, but I used to do auditing. We do not, we do not withhold going concern statements willingly or lightly okay there has to be a significant reason why we would be unwilling to give our assurance that financial statements indicate another year of trading will be perfectly fine you know we obviously can't say oh well it's 100% going to trade for another year but when we are unwilling to put the going concern statement in the financial statements you know something is wrong I think cool many or not are in trouble and I would certainly be wary about backing another Kickstarter from them until we get more word on the subject. You know, that's just my, that is my professional accountancy opinion. Keep your money back, hold your fire a minute, and wait and see how things develop. But anyway, where was I? Um, oh yes, the isolation period. So, you know, when that happens, if a ton of games get released, I think you guys are just going to have to accept that I will not be able to do every single review. I mean, the Dice Tower won't even be able to do it. And look how many reviews they put out. So, you know, there's games from last year they still haven't reviewed. It's not possible to do everything. And I'm my one-man band. You know it ain't going to be possible for me to do it. So I will have to cherry-pick games. I will have to be very specific on what I review. You know, not like necessarily, oh, I only want these games that I know are going to be fantastic. But, I mean, I will have to look at, right, what is the hotness play those games. You know, I will have to leave the smaller games behind because I just will not be able to do them. It takes too long to do the videos. So we'll have to see. Or maybe I could do a compilation thing, I don't know. But then again, if 20 games get released, how am I going to get them all played? I only have so many game nights. I only have, even with, to be fair, this isolation period, one good thing about it is that it has given me a new teaching in Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator, and board game arena which does mean that i'm getting a few more games played over the net although there's a limitation as to how well that can be done and that reminds me i've still got to do a, a preview video for guards of atlantis 2 at some point i will have to uh get on with that at some stage but yeah so i don't know what's going to happen really you know the publishers have, have been quite silent will they space it out do you think or do you think they're just going to release a massive like truncheon of games as soon as the uh, isolation man lifts I don't know. Personally, I'd like them to space it out and just take their time and let things like return slowly back to normal rather than the giant inrush. But I'd be interested to know whether you guys would rather have it the other way.
Okay, let's open up the Q&A bag and find all three questions in it. Yeah, keep some questions coming, guys. I'm kind of starting to run out. But, uh, you know, Mr. Thomas Lodder, who um, watches my content, has given me three questions here from the community. And I figured I would go through these in this episode. Because, to be fair, there's some good ones here that I can do. So, first, let's see, how many are there? There's one, two, although... Two is kind of a small one, and three. So, I mean, there's three here. So, I'm just going to go for them. I don't think they'll take too long. So, let's start with the easiest one, which is, what's the reasoning behind the name The Broken Meeple? It's not as exciting as you would like to hope, to be honest. I mean, a lot of the good names at the time I came up with this channel were already taken. You know, Rolling Dice and Taking Names, I thought was a good name. Uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, not the best name ever. Not the best channel either, but um, but still, that name was taken. Dice Tower and a, a Game Shelf. And there was quite a few names that were like really cool, but they were already done. And I thought, well, what on earth am I going to do? I didn't really know. I kid you not, this was literally the only thing that happened. This was at a time when I first started gaming. I had bought a new game, Spirium, a little mini worker placement game. And I opened the box and took out the meeples and noticed one had a chip foot. And... I literally just said, oh, I've got a broken meeple in mine. And it wasn't like a light bulb suddenly shone in my head. Because as I said those words, I sort of thought, that could work. It's different. It could go along with my heavily critical nature of reviewing stuff. It could work. And that's literally all it was. I literally just picked up a broken meeple and the name just flashed in my head. And I thought, no one's done that yet. This could work. And I just literally went with it from there. It's not like I went through a lengthy process of saying, here's a bunch of names, can everyone vote? It's like, no, I need to pick a name and get on with this. So I just went with it and it's kind of stuck since. It allows me to do a logo which looks different from other logos. I mean, no other logo out there involves a broken piece on their logo. Only mine does. So at least it sticks out as being quite unique. But yeah, that was it. There really wasn't anything much more exciting about that. It was just literally a kind of, Ah, moment, <laughs> you know, like from movies, as, as somebody says something and then their eyes light up and the music starts. That was literally all it was. So sorry it wasn't quite as momentous as I could imagine. And then the big one, which is kind of linked to the second question I got here. Um, it's kind of too linked. And this one's quite a good one. All right. I'm interested if you could explain why you think you're so interested in thematic games. Is it escapism? Is it immersion? Is it something else? And we'll get on to the related one in a minute. That's a definitely a good one, because if you watch my reviews and that, you know I talk heavily about immersion and theme. I love theme in games. Theme's more important to me than mechanics, because frankly, it's not that difficult to get mechanics that work. It's difficult to get mechanics that work really well, but still, it's very hard to get mechanics that work well that also gel with a decent, interesting, and well-tied theme. But why do I enjoy it so much? A lot of it is probably that first word, escapism, because I'm a tax accountant. I'm not exactly in the most like glamorous or fun job ever. It pays the bills, and then some. I took this career because it was stable, it was, you know, challenging, it's, you know, I'm a numbers kind of guy, it was challenging, and it paid well, and I could go anywhere and still do the job. So it was security I went for, rather than the fact that the job was going to be outrageously fun. 
because accounting is not fun. It's like, most business jobs are not fun. You know, fun for me as a job would be to work in my local game cafe and teach games all day. That I would find immense fun. It would also mean cutting my salary by two thirds. It's like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I could not live on the salary. So it's not gonna happen. So when I'm doing that kind of thing as a day job, on top of the things that I have to get through in life, like, you know, living alone, you know, the whole dating scene being like non-existent, you know, that kind of thing, the reality of because I don't want kids, I'm practically gonna grow, grow old and alone at this rate. Yeah, that sort of stuff gets to you uh, every now and again. So games and video games and TV and movies as offer a way of escapism. So I don't watch a lot of drama movies. I watch a lot of action films though, sci-fi and fantasy. I can get lost and immersed in the Lord of the Rings Tolkien world. That's why I love the Lord of the Rings movies. You know, yes, it's make-believe. Yes, there's no such thing as wizards and dragons and stuff, but it's all cool. You know, I can get lost in that setting. And it's why I love my Lord of the Rings card game a lot and Journeys in Middle-earth. They're immersive and they fit the theme. With other games though, even if they're not necessarily based on sci-fi or fantasy themes, if they've got interesting themes or just challenging mechanics, I will still enjoy the fact that I'm doing something that's fun outside of my day job. But it's why when games start becoming more like work than they are like fun, I don't like them as much. It's why you won't catch me near any splotter game. It's why I'm not a big GMT fan. It's why I don't like heavy economic games. Pretzel Border being an exception, but I'll get onto that in a sec. You know, it's why I don't like train 18xx and stock market -y games, because they feel like work. There's no escapism to be had about building railroad tracks and dealing in shares. Whoop-de-friggin-do. But Predator Porter is an exception to this rule, but then Predator Porter has an interesting theme. Fashion. Something I've not really done before. And it does the theme really well, while still giving me a challenging Euro game. So that works. Strong theme with good mechanics. I still feel like I'm doing escapism there because fashion industry is completely outside my comfort zone. Yeah, but it's still a good, like, outside my comfort zone. But with the other games I've got, I mean, Abyss, you've got the underwater world setting, the Lord of the Rings I've mentioned, the Cthulhu mythos, so Mansions of Madness, I've got that. Superheroes, I love superhero TV shows. I watch all the CB, well, except for Black Lightning, I haven't watched that. But, you know, I watch a lot of the CW superhero shows. I watch all the Marvel sh films. I watch the DC movies. I love superheroes. They are like the ultimate form of escapism. You know, I wish I was a superhero. Uh, you know, games behind me, they'll have different, some of them may have, you know, settings that are technically plucked from history, but again, I think it's just the more the theme is strong, the more that I can just get lost in it. Even Dominant Species I was playing the other night, I mean, it's, the irony is not lost on me that I would play the faction that I am most scared of, Arachnids, but it was funny as I was doing it because I was just making jokes throughout the whole game whenever I was eating up other species that I was like, right, it's your turn, I'm gonna go lay, lay some eggs in your brain. Yep, you, <laughs> come here, come here, amphibians, lovely amphibians, lay eggs in your brain. Is I, was, I know spiders don't lay eggs in people's brains, but I just thought it was funny doing it. Yeah, well, they do in fantasy um, games, I guess. But yeah, I just found it funny that I was just joking with the rest of going on about laying eggs in their brain and how great it was. We even had a sketch at one point where 
I don't know how he got onto the topic, but we had the idea of spiders like knocking on people's doors and like knocking on the doors of all the other species and basically like Mormons or like church like evangelists or something with like a book in their hand and going, have you considered what a wonderful world, the wonderful place the world is and how great it would be to have eggs in your brain? <laughs> it just got stupid, puerile and ridiculous. But I was loving it. The fact that the game was stupidly long was mitigated by the fact that I could inject some hilarity into it with some stupidity in the theme. And other games just do that for me. So I would say that's the thing though. A bone dry Stefan Feld point salad game might interest me for the mechanics. Although to be fair, Stefan Feld doesn't usually happen. But for the rest of them, it is just, I want that theme. I want the theme to be interesting. I don't want a game to be like real life. Because frankly, real life kind of sucks. <laughs> so, you know, you get up in the morning, you do a job, and then you come home and then realize you haven't got enough time to have all the fun that you really want. Life is not the like brilliant thing it's cracked up to be, really. Board games help with that, though, as do movies and video games and things like that. All the geeky stuff, basically. But a few cultural stuff as well. I mean, I went for a walk the other day for eight miles in the country. Nice, quiet, sun was great, loved it, you know, it was just nice and blissful, but yeah, the games are just a nice way to shut off from reality and just put it aside and do something interesting. If you don't give me an interesting theme, I couldn't care less. My friends the other day have been playing some Kickstarter game called a uh, Pandemine or Pandemine or something, it's, it's basically a term for medieval bread, and it's called Pandemine Traditional Farmer's Bread. Uh, how much do I not want to play a game that uses the subtitle traditional farmer's bread. That just sounds so Euro-y. And from what I've heard, it is like one of the most Euro-y of Euro games. So I can tell that the theme is not gonna be well, like, interesting. I can tell it's just gonna be a bunch of dry mechanics. And from what I've been told, the theme is basically you are baking bread and selling it to the church. I'm all fine with baking bread. Give me an Agricola-style game where you're baking bread and I will be perfectly happy. Then they go on about, it's the year 17-whatever, and you're selling to the church. I don't care. It's, it's, I mean, how often is the whole, you're trying to appease the local church, being repeated ad nauseum in Euro games? Seriously, a bit of imagination, people. Would it kill you to try some interesting themes? But, ah, oh well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I, I do love theme. And I will always defend theme. There are people I know that will always say that theme is not important. I say boulder dash. Theme is so important for me. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to hate your game if you don't put an interesting theme in it. I like Pulsar 2849 right behind me. That has no theme at all. Although, being in space does help a bit because it could have been a game about medieval churches. And I probably would not have even touched it. But the fact that it was technically set in space made me at least go, well, at least I can make a few space puns and, you know, make some movie references and that. And I do love the game, despite the fact the theme is kind of pasted on on that one. So it's not like it has to be fermented for me to like it, but it certainly does help. And that's just, that's the way it is, really. You know, I need to shut the brain off from reality. Board games help me to do that. And a good theme, good, interesting theme will allow me to do it a lot easier. And finally, with the whole linking question, it was this, and related to that, how come you enjoy Hanamakoji so much? I would describe that as a dry mechanical tug of war game. 
Similar to what I was saying a second ago, it doesn't have to be thematic for me to love it. And to be fair, most two-player games aren't that thematic. I mean, a lot of two-player games are pretty dry. I've got Lost Cities on my shelf, Kahuna, and Imhotep the Jewel from Cosmos. None of them are thematic, but a two-player game, you don't really expect it to be that thematic. Though I do have Star Wars Rebellion, that's perfectly thematic, so there are exceptions to the rule. Hanuma Koji I love, though, because it's... The other thing with games is that, like I said, they don't have to be thematic, but if they're short, streamlined, and yet still engaging and give me a unique twist, I will still love them. Hanuma Koji is barely a 10-minute game, and it looks gorgeous, it is small, it is streamlined rules, so easy to teach, and it gives me that unique twist on I pick you choose with the four actions you have to do that no other game does. It's unique. It gives me that pleasure. And other games will do that as well. You know, the streamlined games are an improvement. I've been ragging on about Dominant Species being four to six hours and it doesn't need to be. If you can streamline that game and make it a two and a half hour game tops, I'd probably love it. I think, yeah, you know what, this is worth two to two and a half hours of play. It's not worth four to six though. Um, trying to think of other games on my shelf that might work. Uh, well, go into some of the other Emperor S4 stuff. Uh, Walking in Burano and Walking in Province. Both short games, 30 minutes or so, maybe an hour tops if you've got slow players. And they're nice and simple, they're quick, they're aesthetically pleasing. You know, games like Takinoko, short, aesthetically pleasing. But then, not every game has to be short. I do like some of the longer games as well. I have all the I have Vital Lacerda stuff, I have Mind Clash stuff, I have Predator Porter, I have Cooper Island. You know, there are some long games I do enjoy. It's just, I think there's a time and a place for them. And again, theme and unique engagement, something interesting. I mean, Cooper Island's not got the strongest theme in the world, but I like the whole idea of building up little peninsula map. It's my map. I created this. And that elevates it above for a lot of games. So, yeah, just because theme is important to me doesn't mean it's the be-all or end-all for liking a game. But it just means that it's another tick ticked box if a publisher can do it. But I don't expect a 10-15 minute filler game to be wonderfully thematic. But I do expect a filler game to be easy to learn, to be engaging, and to be something that I can teach and play in quick time. Animakoji does that, as do a lot of the other small games I have, like The Crew and uh, Point Salad and a few other games like that. So, like I say, theme is not everything, but it's certainly important. And I think we'll wrap up the episode there. So thank you, Thomas, for those questions. By all means, people, send in more questions. Email me, tweet me, you know, direct message me, or put some in the comments on this podcast video on YouTube or on the SoundCloud. You know, just find a way to let me know the questions, and I will mention them in future podcast episodes. I'll try to get another one out in a couple of weeks' time, like this one. Two weeks is becoming a bit more manageable at the moment with podcast episodes, so hopefully you're enjoying them. Hopefully, you know, like the shelf-by-shelf shelf videos, you actually want me to do a podcast because there's no point doing a podcast if you don't want it. But, you know, it's it's hard to gauge how successful it is because the metrics for measuring a podcast are very difficult to interpret. They don't really tell you the whole story, especially when I split the podcast between YouTube and SoundCloud, which means I'm effectively splitting the audience in half. It's kind of hard to gauge it. But anyways, that's it for me. I'm going to get on with editing this podcast so you can have it today on Easter Sunday. So, you know, don't say that I don't do nothing for you. And then I'll get on with whatever else I can do during isolation. 
Maybe go out for a jog. Could do with losing some of the stomach, I must admit. Seriously, needs to go down. Yep, that's the sound of my stomach and all its folds. Oh well, <laughs> horrible image. Anyway, I'll see you guys on the next Broken Meeple video. You can listen to me on the next Broken Meeple podcast. Subscribe to the Patreon if you can, anything helps. And like I say, we're trying to get through the isolation together. I'm sure some of you have got it worse than I have. So uh, stay safe, stay indoors, take care. Thank you for listening to the content and I'll see you soon. Remember, it's only a game. Thank you all for listening to my content and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top 10s, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future, as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.